Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to Evening Dhamma. Tonight we're looking at the Sabhasava Sutta section on bearing. It's not quite a literal translation. Patience. This section is about being patient. The word the Buddha uses is adivasana, which is a good word. It's it's useful to think about the Pali because adivasana means vasana comes from vas, which means in regards to staying. So vasana means staying. Adivasana means adi is just a well, it means different things. It can just be a augment. It can also mean on top of. So adiwasana means uh, staying with, resting with, uh, putting up with. Adiwasana means being unshakable, unmoved, staying put, really. Probably the best translation. But it relates to patience. The Buddha says, How does one practice? Again, we're dealing with, we're talking about ways by which one can overcome defilements. So, how does patience do that? How does Adiwasana do that? He says, Again, reflecting wisely, patisanka yoniso, being reflective and and wise. Buddha says, kamo hoti. Kamo means one is patient. One is, one bears with kamohoti, sitasa unhasa, heat and cold, hard things to bear, hunger, thirst, uh, insects, wind, uh, the sun, creeping things, right? Uh, he endure, one endures ill-spoken, unwelcome words and risen bodily feelings that are painful, racking, sharp, piercing, disagreeable, distressing and menacing to life. Menacing to life. So... There are certain things, the same like we talked about last time, there are certain things that the best way to deal with them is to just be patient with them. And again, it's a difference between what you need and, and what you want. It's not, it's, that, that's what that talk last time was relating to. And this is the practice of how to go about it, is realizing that 
not everything is to be avoided. We'll see the next section is about avoiding. There are certain things you should avoid. Pain isn't one of them. Heat and cold. The commentary has some interesting stories. It's a shame that um, well, it's unfortunate that most people will never have a chance to read the com the commentaries, even those who are interested, because they'll probably never be translated into English. Um, simply because there's a lot of technical jargon and it's very difficult to translate to another language. But there's a story about uh, a monk. There's several stories in this section, but one of them is about a monk. He's uh, doing walking and sitting out in the sun in the hot season. So the hot season in India is, is hot. And uh, so he goes out in the sun and does walking and sitting and his students come up to him and say, Venerable Sir, you should really please come and, and sit in the, in the shade where it's cool. It's very hot where you are. And the teacher says, oh, it's out of fear of heat that I'm sitting here, that I'm sitting here. It's because I'm afraid of heat. And it's, uh, I've been thinking about the, the heat of hell. It's a very Buddhist story, sort of religious. Those pe some people don't like to hear about hell, but this is what this guy was reflect. This monk was reflecting on. He was uh, letting the heat remind him of the dangers of defilement by thinking about hell, or or you can think of it as he's putting himself in a position to be able to study his defilement uh, out of the fear that. He'll be, uh, if he still has these defilements, he's quite possibly going to hell. Again, this sort of thing is, I think, controversial. I don't think we should be, we should jump so quickly into putting ourselves in positions of experiencing extreme states. Uh, I think if we're just going with it, we will experience the, all the suffering anyway, right? I mean, you can live in an air-conditioned home and then suddenly it gets too cold. So you don't have to go out of your way to find uncomfortable situations. I don't think it's that helpful because in the long run it creates this habit of seeking out discomfort, which is self-torture. It's... Um, and, and not just seeking out self uh, seeking out discomfort, it leads to seeking out, right? It creates this habit of contriving things. It 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 moves. You know, it's, it goes in the wrong direction. We're looking to try to be natural, to try to stop controlling and stop fussing. This we we a part of our practice that's really necessary, and it has very much to do with patience is to sort of learn to go with the flow, right? It's kind of cliche, but to some extent to go with the flow and to just see what is causing us uh, the, the friction. It's not the experiences. And that's what we have to learn. Normally we think going with the flow is, hey, you don't like something, run away from it. That's our idea of going with the flow, and that's not going with the flow, right? Going with the flow is when things are not the way you want, Learning to let go of the wanting. So when it's too hot, when it's too cold, dealing with it. 
when there are mosquitoes. Remember in Thailand once I always tell this story. It was, you know, meditation is when you first uh, come ta when you first taste really proper meditation. It's such a it can be such a change. For me, it was just this novel idea, just the idea of not killing, uh, and the idea of of uh, well, the idea of being patient. Remember my teacher, my my teacher at the time, not Ajahn Tong, but another teacher. He um, he encouraged us to practice in different places. He said so. Today I want you to try and practice in many different places. And so uh, what, the idea was I had to practice outside as well. And uh, so silly me, I went right outside my kuti, behind my kuti, my hut, where there was the, the water going through the rice field and sat, sat in the shade and and realized that this was uh, this was where the mosquitoes liked to hang out. But I was determined to try my best to, to stay patient Not really having any idea about mosquito-borne illnesses But uh, sat through it and, and mosquitoes started landing on me And there was such tension in the body I remember this I remember this experience It was such a an eye-opener Because I let go there was, this, there was this feeling of you know noting the itchy feeling Itchy, itchy Disliking, disliking, the ten noting the tension, and then suddenly there was this release. The body just there was a shivering, kind of a rapturous feeling. I mean, very much mental as well. I mean, just the idea of I don't have to get upset and and come into conflict with these mosquitoes or this fe these feelings. I don't recommend mosquitoes are a little bit problematic because uh, again illnesses are things that take away your life that really do threaten your life are, are generally problematic the Buddha here says he says um, pain should be you should bear with pain even if it's going to take your life away and and I think the point here is not that um, you should put up with a situation that's going to kill you but when you're dying Right, because what he's talking about is how to avoid uh, the problem of defilements. And if you're not patient, the key is that if you're not patient, well, two things happen. Maybe you run away from the problem, right? Uh, and and you cultivate by running away. You think, well, that's a good, good luck, a good thing, because now I'm free from it, but you cultivate aversion. And that's uh, sort of what this elder was getting at sitting in the sun. He said, I don't want to cultivate these negative states that would lead me to true heat, the, the heat of hell. Uh, but the other thing is, is uh, maybe you just sit there, sit through it without patience, right? Oftentimes we can't escape Escape the things that cause us stress and suffering So we have two choices Be patient or don't be patient And the problem is usually that we just don't know how to be patient So it's an incredible skill To be able to learn how to 
how to live through things without reacting. I see it's not always about refusing to to change your situation. If you're in a situation like if you sit down on a termite mound, well, you probably should get up and and move. Um, I don't know termites aren't that. No, they are. Termites are, are pretty vicious. Uh, or there was this one monk. He told me a story about. Told was telling us a story about how he sat down, and suddenly there was a shifting right in front of him, and this snake popped up, a cobra or a viper or something popped up right in front of him. He had he had almost sat down on it. So yeah, you don't want to just. Although in that in that situation he was just very mindful and the cobra looked at him and went away. Or the snake, whatever snake it was. It's quite impressive. Uh, but you don't want to just put up with everything. That's not always what the Buddha's talking about. And it's often uh, situations that you can't avoid. So you, you when you're sick, uh, when you're, when you get old and have arthritis and all these pains that you can't avoid. But but you know, m much of the time, and especially for meditators, it really is about not avoiding, trying not to mo move when you sit, uh, putting up with heat, putting up with cold, putting up with hunger, putting up with thirst. It's about learning to experience things without reacting. Patience is um, is a big part of the final stages of, of vipassana practice. I mean, it's a big part of the whole practice, but it's uh, part of the description of what it means to be at the peak of insight. I mean, there, there's this idea of being at your peak form, which is what we're working for, working towards. We're working towards a skillfulness, a skill, a uh, state of proficiency. And part of that, a big part of the description of what that is, is patience. Where one no longer reacts, one no longer wishes things were differently, were different. And it's a real incredible feeling of patience of the ability to forbear things that you know you wouldn't be able to normally bear with great pain uh, itchiness mm, thoughts in the mind really anything that would normally create reactions the mindfulness that uh, overcomes this so again uh, theoretically and technically, mindfulness is that which which brings this about. But um, what we're talking about here is the attitude, the conceptual attitude, where you think to yourself, no, I shouldn't move, I should be patient, because that's how mindfulness works. Right? We, we all, as Buddhists, we're not just, again, we're not just living in an um, ultimate reality universe. We do think conceptually, and that's got to be a part of your practice. You think conceptually about your robes, about your, your food, 
about uh, your lodging right? we talked about last time and you think conceptually about your, your situation hey it's hot right now I, uh, I should stick with it I want to move but I should learn to overcome the the wanting the disliking rather than moving and, and this gives again a support to your insight practice to your mindfulness practice so it's another part of how we overcome the defilement. The act of patience is is so two parts. It's this uh, intellectual sort of uh, act of considering wisely, saying, "Okay, time to be patient with things." It's a new way of looking at things, right? Many people would hear about this idea of sitting and letting mosquitoes bite you with just horror. I'll just think what a horrible thing to do. So intellectually, they have a they have a a, a disagreement, a, to say the least, with this idea. And so, getting your head around this concept intellectually is quite useful, uh, and understanding the benefits of changing your attitude and the de the disadvantages of cultivating this habit of reactivity again meditation is all about habits and our habits of impatience are a huge cause of suffering not our experiences it's the fact that we can't stand them that's what this is talking about standing vasana staying standing adivasana means withstanding or putting up with Staying put Big part of our practice And so when we do this The fever and The discomfort What is it? The vexation and fever That would arise From not being patient Right? That's what it is You, you still feel the same experiences you just can't put. You just suffer from them. That does not arise for one who is, one who has adivasana. And so this is how we overcome the defilements using patience. That's the dhamma for tonight. Let's look at questions. If a baby is aborted or a baby dies before it is born, is that because it was the baby's karma? Karma is action. So, um, I mean, I always say that. Because it's important to have, have a nuanced view of this Karma means action The Buddha didn't teach karma Even though he did uh, What I mean by that is He didn't teach action Action isn't important What's important is the state of mind The, the mental intention behind actions Now actions intensify those intentions But it's the intentions or the states of mind that change who you are 
they're just very intense with actual physical acts. So actually physically in killing someone is involved with some fairly serious deranged states of mind. That's why we call it bad karma. Um, but what we're talking about is those deranged states of mind that change who you are and pervert your own course of, of destiny. So they're not the only force and it's of quite a complicated force which I'm sure you can appreciate. So when you ask whether a baby who is aborted or a baby dies before it is born, miscarried, uh, whether that's because of the baby's karma, it's because of a lot of things and it's quite complicated. Uh, but a huge part of that is the state of mind that has brought the baby to that, brought that being to that situation and which has influenced the, the nature of that situation, right? The fetus seems, it seems reasonable to assume that the fetus can be affected by the mind that that um, that dwells in it. So if the mind is corrupt, the fetus will most likely be changed. I mean, this interesting idea of quantum physics and how the mind can change molecules and how the brain is essentially, you know, it has ion passages in it that are single molecules, which it's very easy to, to imagine a mind influencing those uh, conditions. I mean, I've talked about this before, I think, but um, if you're interested, Henry Stapp is a incredible theoretical physicist who uh, talks a lot about this STAPP for those of you who are interested he talks about how the brain how it's quite possible to to theor theorize how the mind could affect the brain uh, it's a kind of a technical thing but um, yeah interesting in this situation because the brain is developing and if if there really is a mind there then and the mind is corrupt it's going to affect so if the mind is incredibly corrupt it could cause miscarriage that kind of thing um, but also just the fact you know the mother's health and the fact that the baby or the, the being uh, was attracted to that mother and father and situation in general right there's everything has context and that's really the best way to describe karma I think there's a context behind the the birth that's quite complicated Karma is a part of that context. Would an enlightened being state his attainment in the cover of his own book? On <laughs> the cover of their own book? That's a new one. I think you know the answer that I'm going to give to that. I'm not going to answer it. Meditation, medication technique, meditation technique of mentally repeating the word Buddha, Buddha. Does it come under the category of samatha meditation? Buddha is a tough one. I would say yes, but that's practically speaking. Uh, theoretically, Buddha means um, a quality of knowing. When you say Buddha, you're you're theoretically and most people don't do it like this but you're supposed to be focusing on a quality of mind now qualities of mind are impermanent, unsatisfying and uncontrollable so uh, theoretically it should be 
uh, it's not true actually, it's still not Vipassana, but it's it's actually, you should read the Visuddhimagga's take on this, because it's it's not clear at all what it is. It's in the section on Samatha, and it leads to um, it leads to Upachara Samadhi, which is act, sort of this um, neighborhood concentration, or it's in the in the range of jhana, but it doesn't ever reach jhana. Why? Because the states that you're focusing on are impermanent, impermanent, unsatisfying, and uncontrollable. But it's in the Samatha section, I think, for good reason, because mostly it calms the mind. It, it's not people aren't focusing on it to gain insight they're trying to find stability in the buddha's uh, qualities or in this the nature of the buddha and most people just think of the buddha the individual which is a concept and and they're not actually contemplating the qualities uh, in fact a lot of people who use this have fallen into something very strange um, this idea of the knower because Buddha means one who knows and so you read these things in Thailand especially where they talk about uh, realizing or experiencing the one who knows and it sounds very suspiciously like a, a permanent lasting soul if you read it it's it's hard to um, it's hard to accept what they're teaching because it's very much uh, something lasting something that doesn't die right so they talk about the mind that doesn't die, which is very strange uh, and and suspicious. I mean, it sounds it sounds immediately wrong, but um, generally, buddho buddho would be a samatha practice. It's just for calming the mind. It does a quite good a good job at that. Would the act of noting itself produce the right balance of energy and concentration, or do we have to reflect on death to generate those enlightenment factors? No, noting will produce the right balance of energy and concentration. There's no need to... Now, reflecting on death can be helpful in a sort of an ancillary way, but uh, ancillary, I think that's the word, sort of a supportive way, but it's not a main practice. Is it okay to use the feeling of the body as a whole as the primary object instead of the rising and falling? Well, you would note sitting might be okay. The Buddha said to just note sitting, or you can just note feeling. But uh, don't disregard the rising and falling. It's meant to be challenging. It's meant to be hard to, to note rising, falling of the stomach. You're not meant to be good at it. The challenge is good for you. So don't just give it up just because something else is easy. But if it's, you say it's prominent, the feeling is prominent, you can just note feeling for a while. But it's not such a good meditation object. Rising and falling is more prominent, more, more. Uh, well, it's a, it's generally better. It's more, more concrete than just an abstract idea of feeling the whole body, because the idea of the body is mixed in there, and if you have the idea of the body you're going to get in trouble because it doesn't actually exist it's just an idea in your mind which the idea exists the body itself is isn't an experience i'm unable to focus in meditation properly my mind is just jumping when i get irritated i start listening this isn't a question 
listening to music because I can't control myself not listening to music. That's fine. Don't don't be too hard on yourself. Eventually you'll learn about the music and you'll start to get disenchanted. As a beginner, there's you're not going to do everything right. You don't have to keep eight precepts the whole time. Music, what is it? It's just noise. If you like it, just try and note liking and so on. What is the Buddhist approach and view to love and romantic relationships? It's always wise to give unconditional love. Yeah, I mean, love is a great answer to the problem of romance when you hold on to the love and let go of the attachment. Um, it's a great way to overcome your your attachments to people is to focus on the love and uh, you know I mean, of course be mindful but the love will help you get through it because it's not such a it doesn't mean you ha it means you don't have to radically change your life as far as cutting everyone off you don't have to cut anyone off it's much more comfortable just to love them uh, love is good it depends what you mean by love, but if you mean by wishing people to be happy, the friendly aspect of love, then that's a very good thing. And being friendly, having a friendly attitude towards others is is a very wholesome thing. But romance is, clinging is, is unwholesome, right? So any kind of what we call romance is going to be tinged with attachment, which is a cause for suffering, so not so good. Should we use more or less touching points when drowsiness or mental agitation arise in a sitting meditation session? Probably less. Um, I mean, you should focus on the drowsiness. Um, it's probably good for mental agitation to do the touching points. I mean, it's good for both, really. It helps wake you up. It's um, The point is not that. The point is how mindful you are. If you're not very mindful, then you shouldn't do so many touching points. So if you've been working all day and you haven't been very mindful, don't try to do the touching points. It's overwhelming. It's not really about drowsiness or mental agitation, because those will come anyway. It's a question of how mindful have you been recently, right? Because the touching points are meant to be a progression. It's meant to be harder and harder and harder for you, but you need to work up to them. Uh, that being said, there are situations where the touching points are just not The mind is just in a funk, it's just in a state And that's natural, that comes even for very proficient meditators So at times, uh, you just shouldn't do them I mean, you shouldn't try, you, you can't try, it doesn't work So when it doesn't work, uh, there are periods Like like minutes, I mean, or or sessions perhaps where touching points are just not happening and if they're just not happening you don't have to do them but that's um that's sort of the more of the thing for an advanced meditator or someone who's doing intensive practice what can one expect to gain realize from completing a foundation course what determines success what about for an advanced course also, I remember you saying once that towards the end of the course one is able to review and evaluate their practice in such a way. Could you elaborate? So um, the course go, tries to go through a 
progression a there's a um, there's a process and by the end of the course you've gone through that process and I'm being purposefully vague because I don't want to give any ideas about this or that attainment or such a thing but um, technically there is a progression and we try to get through a progression with the meditator um, success for the foundation course I don't know it's, um, success is I think surviving it that's probably the best way to put it because different people will get different results there's no question some people will if we were to be critical we would say mm, this person has done better than that person but I don't think that's so useful I mean comparing is what, what does it do what good does it do right we're looking at a patient right as though we're a doctor and we don't care we're not looking hey this patient he broke this patient did better than that patient right it's, that's not how it works so if a person survives and by survives I mean I don't mean doesn't die I mean doesn't quit someone is able to complete the foundation course and it's usually very messy for most people even those who would we'd say oh that person did really well we don't say that don't ask me whether you did well in the foundation course I don't want to answer it it's not useful to answer that question um, but if you've completed it no matter how messy it was I mean, that's great you've you've done something quite powerful and if if you, you know, th there will generally be still a lot to do then that's what the advanced course is for it's not people have criticized me for using the word advanced it's not the word they use in Thai um, but the, my my rationale was just to point out no you can't take this course first it's a review course that's how it's translated in Thai um, it is advanced it's there's there's no question that that's what it is it's it's a review of the um, the foundation course so you do very much the same things but it's streamlined and it's uh, I mean there are other aspects to it uh, but it's a review of the, what you've done in the first course so what's expected is basically the same sort of thing it's expected that you're a little better at the process and uh, your results will be clearer so if you feel dissatisfied with your results in the first course which you really shouldn't um, you, you'll generally feel more confident with the results of the advanced course the advanced course can be much more difficult um, you know, because you, because ironically, you get better at it. You're better at it, and therefore you're you're going deeper, and you're digging up. You're you're less distracted. You're less into distracting yourself. You're much more focused. So it can be quite challenging. Um, but you should generally feel if again, if you complete the advanced course, the review course successfully, uh, you should feel. Um, well, you should feel a, a, a clear result, and it should feel clearer than the foundation course, less messy. As far as reviewing and evaluating one's practice, uh, I'm not sure what I said about that, but uh, yeah, there is a practice. There is a there is at the end of the 
yeah, you should be able to tell. You know, at the end of the course, you'll say, "Hey, look." You step back and and look at where you, what you've done. You should be able to see the difference. It is the right approach to focus on yourself despite being surrounded by people stuck in greed, anger, delusion. How does one do this? Um, yes, I think it is the best, the right approach to focus on yourself. I mean, I think to some extent you will change those around you. I think if you're mindful, there will be interactions, and you shouldn't avoid or shun the interactions that change others. Um, but they should be mindful. It shouldn't be out of arrogance or condescension. It should be just, you know, someone does something or asks you something, and you give them an honest answer. I'm not trying to change them, but truth changes people. Honesty, mindfulness, these things tend to have a positive impact on others. Uh, but mindfulness, how do you do it? Well, you try and be mindful Have you read my booklet on how to meditate? That would be a good place to start Hey, there's um, The interface, oh there it is, I see Huh hmm. Never mind Are there any doubts that are justified Or should you simply trust the Buddha? I often doubt, especially when it comes to transcendental teachings. Is it not it right to doubt the Buddhist teachings? It is often very difficult for a Western man of, in the 21st century. Will it ultimately lead to more suffering? Okay, well, suppose that all the Buddhist teachings are correct. Let's start from that presupposition, okay? You don't, you don't agree with it, I'm sure, but, and you don't have to, but let's assume that it's all true. What does that say about the person who doubts it? That's a good question to ask And the answer is not They're such a terrible, awful person The answer is uh, It's complicated Because on the one hand uh, It would be great if they Had perfect faith In those truths Remember, we're saying that these things are all true I mean, forget about the Buddha Let's say, what do, we, what do you say about a person Who doubts something that is true? So, if the Buddhist, if a certain teaching of the Buddha is not true, well, then good for you for doubting it. If the Buddhist, if a certain Buddhist teaching is true, well, then it's a shame that you doubted it. That being said, you don't know whether it's true, and uh, so it's 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 a it's a liminal uh, state where you're you're in transition. You're, you're trying to work out what is right and what is wrong And so the real question is What is it that helps you figure out what's right and what's wrong And what is it that hinders you The state of doubt generally hinders you I mean, it doesn't help you to doubt something uh, And technically speaking Technically, it's not the doubt that helps you, it's the knowledge that you don't know that is useful. Hey, the Buddha taught X, well, I don't know X. That's not doubt. Doubt is when you sit there and you know, vacillate. Is it right? Is it wrong? That's not useful. Investigation is useful. A scientist doesn't doubt 
what they're investigating. They just don't know. And so they study. They, they don't sit there and wonder. <laughs> mm. That's the problem, you see. You wrestle with it in your mind. Is it right? Is it wrong? The Buddha taught that, but I don't know, right? That's a bad state. It's not useful. So the Buddha's teaching is all about um, investigation. It's very scientific in that way. If you don't believe what the Buddha taught, they investigate it. So, but but that whole thing about the fact that the Buddha's teachings are true and so on is is um, that to some extent it's good to have faith in uh, in people who you respect, and to some extent it's about hedging your bets. Yes, I don't know this is true, but um, I I get the feeling that this is a good teaching and so cautiously you should you should set yourself in in faith right? and that's what we do for people who we respect we have faith in our parents as young children and that's usually um, usually uh, we become disillusioned once we realize that most of our parents aren't worthy of our faith mostly I mean to some extent, it, it often happens that we lose that faith because we realize, well, our parents are not perfectly enlightened beings. Um, but um, but the faith, but that faith is also useful because, to the extent that they have good intentions towards us, and to the extent that they're helpful, um, to the, you know, we just don't have the time to learn everything. It's a good analogy because. Children don't have the luxury of figuring out what's going to kill them and what's going to cause them bodily harm or mental harm. And so they rely upon the even imperfect knowledge of their parents as a support. And that faith in their parents is, uh, is quite useful. Holy wow, this interface is great. Whoever did this, hats off to you. I've never submitted a question before. But when you start typing in a question, it shows a bunch of my videos. <laughs> I related to it. That's incredible. I just typed in rebirth, and I got a whole bunch of my YouTube videos. Thank you, whoever did that. I don't know how it works. And why does reincarnation come up? How does that work? Interesting. Okay, so I think I answered that. Uh, I think that's all the questions for tonight. Thank you all for coming out. Have a good night.